Hey, this is Harrison. I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church. We are so excited you took the time to listen to this message. We are in part four of our series, The Problem of God. Enjoy. Make some noise if you've been here for any part of this series. Uh, for those of you guys who, who come to Kingdom Church regularly, this series is a little bit different than how we uh, normally do things around here. What we've been doing throughout this series is we've been looking at common objections, problems that people have with God. And what we've been doing each and every week is examining these problems, these issues that people have with God and trying to come up with some answers to these questions. And uh, it's been awesome. We've had people from different backgrounds, faith backgrounds, dialoguing. Uh, some have been here in church, and so we're just uh, super excited, and just it's, uh, it's been a journey. This morning, uh, in part four, what we are doing uh, is we are looking at the problem of evil and suffering. The problem of evil and suffering. Now, this, uh, this right here, I believe, in the Western world, in North America, uh, this is perhaps one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest objections that people have when it comes to Christianity. How can I believe in God when there is so much evil, when there is so much suffering? And in this topic today that we are going through, it's so much different than the problem of science, the problem of the Bible, and all those things, because this is what I believe to be true. There are certain people in life, no matter what happens, Science will never be a big stumbling block for your faith. It's just like, whatever, I don't really care about the stars and all that stuff. Same thing with the Bible. For a lot of people, it's like, I'm not really worried about manuscripts and, and, and the validity of this. I'm just going to believe it. But one thing I believe to be true, no matter what your faith background is, whether you are a skeptic, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Buddhist, every single one of us in this world have to come face to face with the problem of evil and suffering. Because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background, this is an issue that will hit you head on. This is an issue that no matter what, you will not be able to avoid in life. It, it's inevitable. For those of you guys uh, who are alive and human, you guys know what I'm talking about, and that's all of you. All you have to do is turn on the news. Christy and I, we're not really news people. I told you are more Food Network people. But uh, just this last week, uh, CBC was on in our house, and then the news came on, and literally within the first five minutes, it just took five minutes, and you just hear all these stories, all of these tragedies, all these things happening in the world, and, and it makes you sick to your stomach. When it comes to death and pain, the older that we get, the more inevitable pain becomes. I tell you guys my back problems all the time. <clears throat> But a lot of us, we know what it's like, and it's just an inevitable thing when it comes to life. The older we get, the more suffering there is, the more pain that there is. And it's not just in our lives, it's in the people around us. It's almost like the longer that we live on this earth, the more pain and more suffering that there is. It's, a, it's an inevitable thing that happens to all of us. The late professor Ronald Nash, he said that he believes that the greatest challenge that all philosophers have when it comes to Christianity will be and will always be the problem of suffering, the problem of evil. Because what he knows is that this is inevitable. This is something that we will all face head on. And I can say this from a Christian perspective. I cannot stand up here and say to you that in my life I have never questioned why. Why God? Why did you allow this to happen? And I think that if we were being honest, no matter what your position is, when tragedy strikes, all of us have been left with this question of why. 
Some of us, tragedy hits closer to home. I talked about the news for a lot of us, even in here in St. Albert in Canada, last year we had one of the greatest tragedies this country has ever seen with the humbled Broncos and the bus crash. And I know many people were left asking, why? Why is this happening? And so pain and suffering, evil, are things that we all have to deal with. And the people, and the question that people ask is often, why? Why God? So this morning, uh, I want to start off by reading a quote by Scottish philosopher David Hume. And this is, this is a quote that many of us have maybe heard before in our lives. He has a question that he's asking. He says this. He said, if God is willing to prevent evil but not able, then he is impotent. Is he able but not willing, then he is malevolent. In other words, he's malicious. Is he both able and willing, why then is there evil? This right here is the problem of evil and suffering. This is the problem of God. What David Hume brings up here is what is known as the trilemma. And the trilemma is this. There are things that we know. If there is a God, we know this about him. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. And God is all-good. God is all-powerful. God is all-good. Yet evil exists. These are three realities that we know to be true if there is a God. And so for a lot of people, what they do is they look at this trilemma and they say to themselves, if there is a God who is all-powerful and who is all-good, and yet there is evil, something doesn't add up. And so what many people do is they come to the conclusion that because there is evil and there is suffering, God cannot exist. Because if there was a God who was all good, he would not allow our world to look this way. This is the problem of evil and suffering, and this is the problem I want to look at this morning as we begin part four of our series, the problem of God. Now, when it comes to, to, to the understanding of, of evil and suffering, there's one thing we need to understand. No matter what your perspective, no matter what your background is, every single ideology must come up with an answer and must come up with a reason for evil and suffering. You see, in Eastern religions, a lot of the answers for evil and suffering comes from this thing called karma. Have you guys heard of karma before? The idea is essentially what comes around goes around. In other words, we get what we deserve. That's, that's karma. And that's, that's where evil and suffering comes from. We suffer because we have done something. Now, when it comes to a more evolutionary standpoint, the, the naturalistic standpoint, the idea is that evil, suffering, pain is inevitable. It's just the natural progression of life. What I want to do this morning is I want us to see that in the marketplace of ideas, I actually believe when it comes to evil and suffering, Christianity provides us with the best answer. So here's what I want to see. Number one, I want us to understand that the Bible itself does not shy away from evil and suffering. And the Bible itself actually presents suffering and evil and hurt and pain in the same way that you and I often experience it. Psalm chapter 6 says this. This is written by a man named David. This is a prayer he says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. He says, heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. This is the question he asks. He says, how long? How long, God? And you can hear his pain in these words. And maybe this is pain that, that some of us have felt in our lives and, and questions we've said to God. We said, how, God, how long? How long until you do something? How long until you intervene? 
Habakkuk chapter 1, this is an Old Testament book as well, and, and this book is actually really answering this question. The whole book is about evil and suffering, and, and it starts out by saying this. He says, how long? Same thing as David. God, what's up? Where are you at? How long must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you? Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. You see, the Bible is hitting these issues head on. Last week, we looked at the problem of the Bible, and I don't want to recap last week, but one, one of the objections for the Bible is the Bible is a fairy tale. It's just made up, and, and it's all good, and it's about God, but yet what we see is the Bible is filled with, filled with real-time people and real-time suffering. And they're asking real questions in the same way that you and I ask questions. Not just with tragedy, but I know there are people in this room and you've been asking, you've been praying, God, take this thing away from me. Take this illness away. Take this pain away. How long? How long, how long must I be like this? You see, the Bible, the biblical understanding for pain is, is that the whole Bible is filled with it. You see, the world was created in perfection in the book of Genesis chapter 1, and it only took two chapters by Genesis chapter 3, pain and suffering come into the world. And the story and the understanding is that the world that we live in now is on the other side of where God intends us to be one day. And this side is filled with pain and suffering and hurt. Yet despite the pain and suffering and hurt that is inevitable, I believe that the Bible and God gives us an answer of hope. And he gives us an answer of assurance. And that is what I want to dig into this morning. So the first thing that I want to do is I want us to understand one thing. When it comes to evil and suffering, evil is inevitable, and it is true. We've all experienced it. However, what I want us to see this morning is that evil and suffering do not necessarily negate the fact that there is a God that exists. And so as we begin this morning, I want to begin by looking actually at clues within evil and suffering that point to God. You guys ready for this? Let's do it. Uh, there's a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Now, I'm sure a lot of us have heard of him. I shared a quote from him last week. Uh, C.S. Lewis, most famously, maybe for you guys, he wrote the, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, all that good stuff. Shout it out. Uh, he's also a professor at Oxford University, and uh, he's also one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest uh, Christian authors of the last 100 years. And uh, the thing I love about C.S. Lewis's story is that he did not always start off that way. In fact, for a large portion of his life, he considered himself an atheist. He did not believe in God. And one of the reasons that he said he did not believe in God was because of this trilemma. You see, C.S. Lewis could not believe that if God was all-powerful and if God was all-good, then evil would exist. And evil and suffering, like many people, no matter what your faith background, he found it offensive. He found it just unjust that there was evil and suffering. And so he came to the conclusion, because of this evil and suffering, because of this pain, there cannot be a God. However, C.S. Lewis is a brilliant mind if you ever read him. And as C.S. Lewis did a, a deep dive into himself, he realized that there was a problem with his thought process. There was a problem with the conclusion that he came to. I want us to read us a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's, it's the longest quote we're going to read in this series, but it's powerful, so I need us to see this. Uh, I'll explain it in a sec if we don't get it. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, my argument against God 
was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of what was just and unjust? He says, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I had done that, then my argument against God collapsed. For my argument was dependent on saying the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. If we don't understand this, essentially what C.S. Lewis is saying is this. He's saying my main argument against God was that the universe was unjust. But he was saying, where did I get my idea of what was just and what was unjust? And we kind of looked at this in part two of our series. But essentially what he was saying, he was saying, unless there is something deep inside of me that is telling me what is just and what is unjust, what is evil and what is good, he said, I have no reason to feel offense when it comes to pain and suffering. You see, the, the, the naturalistic worldview of pain and suffering is that we are all here as a result of natural selection. And natural selection and evolution is predicate on death, pain, and suffering. It's survival of the fittest. It is that which is stronger survives, and, and we are all here by a process of death and, and decay and, and years and years and years and years of death, decay, violence, and all these things. And so C.S. Lewis, what he realized, he said, my, my version of this world being unjust does not actually match up with what I'm now believing. Because if I'm actually an atheist, this should not offend me. Because this is the natural order of life. This is just how things go. You see, we're looking at clues for God within evil and suffering. And I believe this, one of the main clues for God within evil and suffering is that evil, suffering, and pain offends us to our very core. But if we were simply naturalistic humans here based on death, here based on decay, evil and suffering should not offend us in the way that it does. Do you guys see where I'm going? In 1997, there's a story, um, and this is a graphic story, I'll just warn you, uh, by a woman uh, of, by the name of Melissa Drexler. And uh, she infamously became known as the prom mom. And so while she was in prom, the 12th grade, uh, unbeknownst to her friends and family, she was actually pregnant. She got to full term, nine months pregnant, and no one knew this. And so in the middle of her prom, she walked out on her date. She went to the washroom and gave birth to her son. In the washroom, she gave birth to her son, killed the baby, left it in the garbage can, and went back on the dance floor as if nothing happened. Now, no one knew what happened. A few days later, however, the janitor found the baby in, in, in the trash can, and uh, Melissa Drexler was sentenced to 15 years in prison. And uh, it's, a, it's a horrific story, and it makes my stomach turn, and I, I can tell that you guys aren't a big fan of it either. Uh, a few months after this incident occurred, an article came out in the New York Times uh, written by an evolutionary, th an evolutionary theorist. And he argued in favor of Melissa Drexler. And what he said was this. He said, what she did is something that is common to many males, to many mammals, I should say. It's this idea that if the mother feels that their infant is not, uh, is not uh, advantageous for them to have, they will kill said infant. You guys have all seen nature shows and you've heard this, right? It's, it's called infanticide. 
And so he argued in what he said. He said, we cannot actually be mad at Melissa Drexler because, of course, as you guys can imagine, there was a ton of uh, outcry. But he said, you cannot be mad because what she was doing was natural. This is something we see all over the animal kingdom. This is something that is innate to us as mammals. Now, I can see by your faces as, as we, we went through this story, as I told it, that that answer does not really satisfy anyone. But here's the point. If death and suffering are a natural part of life, we should not feel offended by it. However, we do. When we hear this story of the prom mom, it makes our stomachs turn to a point that we can't even fathom. But if, if we were trying to live with a naturalistic worldview, it should not offend us, but it does. It does. And so this, my friends, is the clue within evil and suffering. And the clue is this. The fact that evil and pain offend us so much points to the fact that there must be something more. There must be a transcendent force outside of us, outside of nature, that has innately put into us this idea of what is right and what is wrong. Because if there's not, evil and suffering should not offend us. You see, we're trying to look at clues for evil and suffering, clues for God within evil and suffering. Friends, I'll say this, and you guys can disagree. I've never been to a funeral. I've never heard of someone dying and the parents saying, we're so much happier now because there's more resources for the rest of us. I've never heard when someone dies, when tragedy strikes, anyone say, well, this, this is better because this is just the natural part of life. This is the progression. When tragedy strikes, you guys, you guys have seen the hashtags that go around, right? Like pray for Paris, pray for Edmonton, humble, strong, whatever it may be, our thoughts and our prayers. Why when tragedy strikes, why when there is death and suffering, why do we as people come together? I believe the reason is this. The reason we come together is because all of us innately feel that this is not right. Something is wrong. Something is amiss. This is not the way things were intended to be. And that is why I think in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of evil and suffering, people who are not religious, people who claim not to believe in God will say things like, I'm praying for you. Because we as humans have, have submitted to this idea that there's nothing else that we can do. Because what we are feeling is so unnatural. What we are feeling is something that we were never meant to understand. You see, I talked about the biblical worldview and the biblical understanding of pain is that this is not the way God intended things to be. The Bible tells us that God created the world in perfection. But, but, but when sin and death came into the world, God has been doing everything he can to reverse what we are in, and eventually he's going to make things right. But until he makes things right fully and completely when he, when he makes everything new again, until then, death, suffering, evil, pain will be unnatural to us because we're living on the wrong side of heaven. It's a clue for God. And so we've seen this. Pain and suffering do not necessarily disprove God. Maybe they point to him. But we're still left with this trilemma. God is all-powerful, God is all-good, but evil exists. And, and so some people, they, they, they've gotten to the point where they've said, okay, I understand that evil does not necessarily negate God. However, I will not worship God, I will not follow a God that would allow evil. Because if God is powerful enough to get me out of my situation, if God is powerful enough to stop the pain that I am going through, and he doesn't, I will not worship him. 
because I do not deserve to go through this pain that I'm going through when God could stop it himself. And maybe a lot of us, we resonate with that inside and we know what that feels like. But what I want us to see is this. Within our understanding of pain and evil, there's actually an assumption that a lot of us make and the assumption is this. Because suffering appears pointless, it must be pointless. This is the assumption a lot of us make. If suffering appears pointless, it must be pointless. In other words, if I don't understand why I'm going through this, if I don't understand why my life is like this, it must be pointless. And this is really the heart of the trilemma. God is all good, God is all powerful, but he allows pointless evil to exist. But what the trilemma fails to realize is it does not give us the full picture of who God is. You see, God is all powerful, God is all good, but God is also all-knowing. He's omniscient. And God is also eternal. Why is this important? We as humans are neither of those things. We are not all-knowing and we are not eternal. What it means to be eternal, it means that God exists outside of our understanding of time and space. God knows the beginning from the end. We as humans are limited by our perspective, meaning we only know things through the lens in which we experience them. But God knows things through a bigger lens. He's all-knowing and he's omniscient. And so what that means is because suffering appears to be pointless to us, it does not always mean that it is pointless. And so what I want us to see as we get going is that because God is all-knowing, because God is eternal, perhaps there is often and sometimes purpose for our pain. In other words, there's a reason that God allows us to go through the things that he goes through, that we go through. I was listening to a podcast uh, a few weeks back, and uh, there was a lady, and she was telling um, this story of an event that happened to her. And in the story, she described how uh, one day she woke up with extreme, extreme stomach pains. Like, like the most extreme pain she'd ever experienced. And now this woman has given birth three times. And when she described this pain, she said it was not even comparable to childbirth. It was so much worse. And so she was rushed to the emergency room. And uh, in the hospital, the doctors saw the amount of agony that she was in. And so over and over again, uh, they started performing tests. But the tests all came back negative, And literally every single test, to the doctor's knowledge, told her that she was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with her. Yet the pain persisted, and so this lady, she's a woman of faith, and she's actually, um, in terms of Christianity, she's kind of like a little Christian celebrity, whatever that means. And so as she was in the hospital, she kind of got the word out, and so people started praying for her in, in just in the dozens, in the hundreds. Day after day, people came into the hospital, and they were praying for her, and she was praying. They were saying, God, help this pain to go away. Help this pain to go away. And day after day, God did not answer her prayers. And as she was in the hospital, she recalls a conversation with herself and she was saying, God, why would you allow me to go through this pain? You have the power to take it away like that, but it's, it's there. Why is it still there? She was in the hospital for 10 days. The doctors could not find a thing, but the pain just grew and grew and grew. Finally, on the 10th day, uh, a group of doctors rushed in uh, to her room and, and they said to her, they said, Lisa, uh, we figured out What's wrong with you? Your colon is twisted. And this is, just sounds painful. And so she was, uh, she was immediately rushed in to surgery. And uh, when the surgery was finished, it was a success. She was back to normal. 
<clears throat> and she recalls a conversation that she had with the doctor. And the doctor, he said to her, he said, Lisa, I know you're a woman of faith, and uh, I've seen the people who have come in and out of this, this hospital praying for you. He said, I have to tell you something. He said, if God had answered your guys' prayer and took your pain away, you would have died. He said, you would have gone home thinking everything's okay because the pain is gone and you would have eventually just died. And Lisa, in the midst of that interview, she said something I found to be so profound. She said, God loves me too much to answer my prayers any time other than the right time. You see, she only had a limited perspective. And when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, we only have a limited perspective because we don't think that there's purpose for our pain. I read this week about a disease called CIPA, uh, which stands for congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. I read about this disease, and, and it's a disease that you wouldn't even think is real, but the essence of the disease is that you are unable to feel pain. So when someone squeezes, like, pinches you, or if, if you get shot, if you step, you cannot feel it. You cannot feel hot. You cannot feel cold. They can walk outside today and be perfectly fine. In the story that, uh, that I heard, is a girl named Ashlyn, and... Uh, the guy that was telling the story, he said, Ashlyn's mother has a prayer every single day. And his prayer is this. He says, God, help my daughter to feel pain. Help my daughter to feel pain. Because all it's going to take is one day for someone, for her to step on a nail and have no idea. For something to happen and she doesn't have a clue. And so her prayer is, God, help her to feel pain. Help her to feel something. You see, friends, I have this belief because we have a limited perspective. We cannot always see the purpose for pain. But if God is allowing us, understand this, I don't think God causes bad things to happen, but there are times when God will allow pain. He'll allow suffering. The reason that he allows us to go through it is because maybe there is a purpose within it for us. Maybe there is something that we need to learn in our hardships. There is something we need to learn in our pain. I think that if I, if I were to ask people in this room with this, with, this, with this thing called perspective, if I asked them what made you to be the person you are today, I think a lot of people would realize it was in their hardest times, it was in their toughest times that their character was formed, that they became the person that they are today because of that pain. There's an author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote a book called David and Goliath. And uh, in this book... We can hold the quote for a second, Megan. I'll, we'll get in a sec. In this book, he has a thesis. And his thesis is this. In life, a lot of times the most successful people are people who've had it the hardest. It, it's the idea of the underdog is what this whole book is about. And uh, he talks about this thing called the advantage of disadvantage. And, and in this book, he cites a study that was done. And what he found is in some of the most highly successful entrepreneurs in America one-third of them had dyslexia. A third of them. I was watching Shark Tank this week, and Kevin O'Leary said, I have dyslexia. I didn't know that. But the dude's like a billionaire. A lot of the most successful people have disabilities. There's another story he told. Uh, it was a fundraising event, and it was a room filled with some of the wealthiest people in the room. And the keynote speaker asked a question to the crowd. He said, how many of you in this room were diagnosed with a learning disability? And in that room, half of the people raised their hands. 
And this is the thing he calls the advantage of disadvantage. And Malcolm Gladwell has a thesis from this study and from this book, and this is what he says. He says, the more intriguing possibility is this, that they succeeded in part because of their disorder. They learned something in their struggle that proved to be an enormous advantage. You see, if we could poll most people, and I'm sure there are people in this room who have been diagnosed with learning disabilities or something of the sort, I don't think any of them would go back and say, I I would wish this upon myself. I wish that I had to go through this. But you see on the other end, what Malcolm Gladwell is arguing is that this disability, this disadvantage, this suffering has actually formed them to be the person that they are today. Without it, they could not be where they are. And this is something that the Bible is rich with. There's a story in the Bible, one of my favorites. If you stick around long enough, I'm sure I'll preach about him. But I'll tell you in a nutshell, his name is Joseph. And in the book of Genesis, Joseph, uh, the story, a long story in about 30 seconds is this. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers at a young age. Imagine this, your brothers hate you so much they sell you into slavery. He was sold into slavery. When he was in slavery, he was sold again. He was imprisoned and he was just in the darkest of darkest places. Decades and decades, servanthood, prison. This is a guy that did nothing to deserve it. But as his story goes on, and the thing I love about the Bible is the Bible often offers us perspective that we don't have in our own lives. Because we can see the beginning, the middle, and the end. None of us can see the end of our lives. And so Joseph, through his misfortunes, through his time in prison, eventually, as the story goes on, read it this week, it's found in Genesis, Joseph is promoted to that one of the highest positions of authority in all of Egypt. And, and the story goes, he could not have got there unless he was in prison. But when he was in that position of authority, he was able to come up with a plan because there was a drought coming and this drought was going to kill millions of people. But Joseph had an idea, he had a plan, and he put it in place. And in the ultimate act of irony, at the end of Joseph's story, his brothers who think that he is long dead, they are in need of food. And Joseph is the one who has the food. And Joseph says something so profound in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, had Joseph never gone through the heartache, had Joseph never gone through the pain, he never would have experienced what he had to experience at the end of it, that God wanted to use him to save many lives. And so, friends, as we look at this problem of evil and suffering, what I want us to realize is that the trilemma fails to recognize two important things about God, that God is all-knowing and God is eternal. And so what that means is whatever we are going through, whatever you are going through, God can see the whole picture. And sometimes God loves us too much to answer our prayers at any time other than the right time. And for some of us, you may feel like I'm in that time that feels right to me and I'm in pain and I'm in suffering but what I want us to see is that there's often purpose in pain there's purpose in pain as we close I think for a lot of people they they can come to the conclusion sure there's purpose in my pain Uh, sure sure good can come from it but when you're in the midst of it when you're in the midst of tragedy when you're in the midst of heartache when you're in the midst of evil 
it doesn't always comfort you to say, well, there's a purpose to it. That's not always comforting. When you lose someone, I'm not going to come to you and say, hey, God has a plan. Because that's not really comforting. What I'm just trying to show us, I'm trying to offer us perspective in terms of that question of why. But when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, this is not what God leaves us with. He doesn't just leave us with, with purpose and say, well, your pain has purpose, deal with it. He doesn't. You see, what Jesus did, what God did, is he devised a plan when it came to evil and suffering. His plan was to conquer evil and suffering once and for all. And he did that through his son, Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross. Now, why am I telling you this? Because for a lot of people, there's, 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 there's questions of why. Why, God, is there suffering? Why, why, why? And I cannot sit here and tell you I have the perspective to answer all of your questions. But one thing I know is this, is that the Bible and the story of Jesus gives us one answer. That you are going through pain, you are going through suffering, but, it's not, but it is not because God doesn't love you. How do we know that? Jesus. Jesus on the cross. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he took on the whole weight and the whole world, every sin that has ever God experienced it on the cross. He took shame, he took pain, he took suffering, he took evil, and he experienced it. That thing that you think that no one else knows what it's like, that depression, Jesus experienced it. That sexual assault, Jesus experienced it all on the cross. You see, God took pain and suffering and evil so seriously that he took it on himself. And he said, I need to experience it. And the reason that God has experienced it, the reason he needed to experience it, is so when we go through our darkest times, when we go through the, the, the depths of pain, the depths of suffering, we cannot say that we don't have a Savior that understands. Because Jesus gets it. The Bible says he's Emmanuel, he is God with us. What that means is he has experienced everything that we have experienced. And that is his answer to pain and suffering. That is his answer when we go through it, when we feel it. Jesus has felt it too and he can, he can sympathize and he can experience what we've experienced. But that's not it. That's not all. I was listening to, uh, to Ravi Zacharias this week. He's a Christian apologist which I am not. And uh, he's from India, and he said this. He said, in the West, one thing I have seen is that nowhere in the world is suffering as offensive and painful as it is here in the West, as it is here in North America. And he said the reason that he believes this is because in North America, in Canada, there is this growing belief among the nation, among the people, that this life, that this world, this is it. This is all that we have. There's nothing more. Your career, your job, your family, this is it. There's nothing more. And the problem with that is that when tragedy hits, if there's nothing more, we have no hope. Because this is it. But friends, Jesus on the cross, he, he took our sins so he can sympathize with us. But the story did not end in the cross. The story just begins on the third day when Jesus rose again. When Jesus resurrected. Because when he resurrected, he was foreshadowing what he was about to do one day in glory. He was about to make that which is dead new. He was about to turn pain and suffering and hurt and heartbreak into something that was beautiful, into something that is new life. And we talked about the, 
the idea of different perspectives, different ideologies, but friends, there is nothing that can compete with Christianity because no other ideology, no other perspective says that everything that has happened now is nothing compared to what God has for us one day. I had a dream, and it's a dream I've had a few times, and I'm sure if you guys uh, in your life may have had a similar dream, but have you guys ever had the dream where your family dies? It's a bad dream. I had it a few a little while back, and like I was literally crying, like I woke up crying with tears, like real tears. And uh, when I woke up, I just reached over and I felt Christy, just to like make sure she was alive. And uh, it's funny I, I, in that moment, like I just I moved closer to her, right? Because I was like, okay, like she's not gone, she's she's still there. It was just a dream. And, and it's funny if you guys have ever had that dream before, you will know that when you wake up, you kind of appreciate your family a little bit more. Because that which is lost is now found. You see, when it comes to the, the biblical understanding of evil and suffering, everything that we are going through in this world right now is but a dream. It's just a bad dream. And the Bible tells us that one day we're going to wake up and God is going to make everything new. And I have this belief that everything that we've gone through here on this earth, the pain and the things that we have suffered here will only make that which we will experience in glory all the better. It's going to make it all the better. I want to close with this verse from Romans. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he'll reveal to us later. This is what Paul is saying. Understand this, the Bible does not shy away from pain and suffering. It hits it head on. Paul says, everything we experience now, whatever you are experiencing now, if it doesn't get better, if you don't find your purpose right away, here's your promise, here's your guarantee. It will be nothing compared to what's to come. And that's the hope that Jesus brings. And so when it comes to the problem of evil and suffering, friends, I have this belief, evil and suffering, is, it's, it's everywhere, it's going to happen. But if we don't have Jesus, we don't have hope. But because we do have Jesus, we do have hope. And what we suffer now is nothing compared to what will be revealed to us later. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that message encouraged you. If you want more information on us, we invite you to head over to kingdomchurch.ca. You will find everything that you need to know and more. Take care.